When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they can become something more. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to the discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined by my co-host, Chris Bruffett. How are we doing today, Chris? Jesse, it's an exciting time. I am actively looking for a new job. Should have one, hopefully, by the next time we record, which is exciting. exciting. Core Set 2.0 is out very shortly. That is extremely exciting shatter points coming along my mace is in put together mm. fixing to prime them up very nice and what else i am trying to decide on what two models i'm going to paint for the next painting competition so of course the theme as we all know is duels all of the models that i would immediately choose to do something like this with i've already got painted mm. so yeah. trying to figure out what i'm going to do here is has been an interesting challenge and I'm fixing to start looking outside of the MCP world. So we will see what happens. I've got a few that come to mind. Yeah, maybe we'll have to talk them on After Dark and stuff yes. like that. So very exciting. Well, it's a very fun day today. We are starting not only a new character episode, but we are starting a, a new series, Chris, a return to Asgard. It's funny because we did a return to Asgard not terribly long ago, but this is kind of the way AMG's decided to release Asgard. They've decided to release them in small chunks spaced out through big gaps over the mm-hmm. years. You know, I really do appreciate it in the sense of like, it keeps Asgard fresh, but also keeps kind of exciting for us because we get to return to this important part of Marvel in little spurts and then leave again, you know, and then presumably we might get to do it again in the future if they give us more Asgard pieces. So I'm just excited to be back in the world of Asgard. It's something I've really fallen in love with in Marvel the last five, 10 years or so in a huge way. It's something I always thought was really cool, but I just didn't know much about. And then I got to know a lot more about it through the comics. And then of course the films came out, dove even deeper Got people like actors I adore out there on the screen, like Idris, you know, playing major, major Asgard players. All the pieces fell in place. You know, I'm a big mythology guy, too. You guys all know that. So kind of like leaning into the like the I mean, what do you even call it in this? It's the fun, fake alt mythology universe of our world's mythology. Listener, this was not planned. I am so happy you went this way Mm -hmm. with this discussion uh, because it is something I am going to talk about in our lore segment, and that is. With Asgard, we're taking these 
pre-made characters and shaping them or I mean almost ideas, you know, ideas. Yeah. And kind of shaping them to fit the Marvel, the Marvel world. And with the Marvel world, it's been going since the sixties. It's 2023. It's been a long time of just weekly issues, monthly issues, just, you know, all the time that this world is evolving. So we've really hit this part with Asgard that is, I would almost call it extremely postmodern. And mm, I'll get to well that said. a little bit with Malekith. And, and the way I think that is, is because we have got, if you look at the Asgardian pantheon, the, the villains and the heroes that we've got in this game right now, we'll get to Malekith. I have many thoughts on Malekith. But you look at, we've, we've pulled Angela in. We've yeah. pulled, we've taken all of these Norse mythological names, given them their own personalities, and then told stories with them in a continued, like in a universe that has continuity. There's a lot of weird stuff going on that is nowhere near, you know, normal Norse mythology. And it's, it's very interesting and it's become its own thing. And it's pretty complicated, which automatically means nerds like you and I will enjoy it. Yeah. And you're, you're sending buzzwords my way. Again, we're really excited about things like, you know, you guys know how much I love film and, and how important the age of modernism followed by postmodernism was for that feature of pop culture. And it's so interesting now, Chris, to be in this with comics and the Marvel canon and pop culture as a whole, right? Because you're, you're talking about since the 60s, a lot has changed and just the modern canon and, and feel and of Marvel, right? And everything, right? And so actually, I would say one step further, where this is what a lot of modern contemporaries would call metamodernism, you know, which is like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the age of the internet and ideas that have evolved even past their, that have emerged in the aftermath of the postmodernism realm we were in for so long. And now we're kind of, we're definitely in that with Marvel. And Asgore is a good example this because think of Thor in the 60s to Thor now and think about all the things that have changed and transpired. And a lot of that's been because not only just because the comics obviously changing, but the world we live in, the MCU existing. And just changes in pop culture. Yeah, exactly. Marvel (laughs) has always been very, very into, I don't want to say chasing pop culture in the way that Vince Mm -hmm. McMahon chases pop culture with professional wrestling, just constantly wanting to be uttered in the same breath with whoever's extremely famous at the moment. Marvel is is chasing those references and, and always chasing those, maybe a little bit of using pop culture to frame their stories instead of using it to try to gain relevance. I mean, mm. they kind of go hand in hand, so it's a very interesting tightrope to walk. And I don't want to say Marvel is some perfect, you know, blameless creature, but, right. uh, you know, Pop culture changing changes comics. It always does. And new generations of writers come in and change comics. I mean, you and I are both elder millennials. We have certain things in common and we have some certain story beats and tropes and Saturday morning cartoons that we really enjoyed that would definitely kind of come into a comic book if you and I were writing and illustrating a comic together, right? For sure. Um, And that's going to happen with a lot of these writers that are younger than you and I that are coming in. They're really changing things up, making comics, you know, a younger thing. And it's, this happens every, what, four to seven, eight years. I mean, this is the nature of continued stories being written by companies and corporations, right? This is just how it's going to go. Oh, of course. And it's just, you add the extra layer of that too. Young writers bring fresh new ideas, but on top of that, you have young writers that grew up in the age of the internet and a fully exactly. digital world. We, you know, you and I had fully, fully analog childhoods, everything pre-college, right? So it's yeah, like- Yeah, we we're part of that generation 
that that <laughs> knows both. We're the last ones that know both. It's pretty interesting. And if only that could translate to money. Well, that's very true. But something like, you know, when we were growing up in like high school or younger, like something like meta modern was not even necessarily a thing like it is now because of because of the access to the internet and the digital tools we have. And so now we got these new forms of art that are all over the place. I mean, case in point, something like in theaters right now, the Barbie film in theaters is peak meta modern art, right? All the way down to its ideas yeah. and cultural discussions going on within it. So yes, Marvel pursues that pop culture realm, but they also play around with what's going on in just greater culture at large and you know social justice a lot of things marvel plays with right that are happening in the world which is very important so it's just interesting to keep all that in your mind because it is so bizarre in a good way with this format because we came from something thousands of years old from norse mythology to now this new amalgamation we have of marvel norse mythology which is something else entirely it's more of a sci-fi fantasy world you know which is started at the the starting point of Norse mythology as a jump off point, but then it's become something else completely, you know? 100%. It's always changing. Ah, I think we have to get into we the Malekith lore now, but first we got to take care of some business. <laughs> Fury's Finest is supported by Mr. Laser. Go to mr-laser.square.site for all of your Marvel Crisis Protocol needs. Furious Finest is also supported by iWarGame. iWarGame is the best marked maps for MCP for high-level tournament play, and we highly recommend checking them out at iwargame.net. Of course, our patrons support us, Furious Finest, at patreon.com slash furiousfinest. If you enjoy the show and would like to join our private Discord community, consider supporting us and looking at the tiers. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. And Chris, we have a new patron of the week. It is Thoris. Thank you, Thoris. Thoris, thank you so much. A pillar of the MCP community running those rules forums, answering those tough questions people mm. never know. You Gotta know, love does it. Does Rocket have cover here or not? Things like that. You know, Really nuanced questions, and Thoris is holding on the fort. We appreciate it, man. And like always, we have to send a huge shout out to the Avenger-level producers. They are the guys that keep this show going this week. Very big thank you to Rich, Puyon, and Sean. Thanks, fellas. Thank you, Avengers. You guys keep us afloat. All right, Chris, let's get into our Asgard Malekith lore today, which I'm very excited to talk about. Oh boy. Who is Malekith? Malekith. All right. So clearly I've been playing Baldur's Gate 3, like 80% of Americans. <laughs> Malekith <laughs> reminds me so much of the drow, man. And, For sure. And because of, I mean, dark elves are drow, but it's part of this postmodern thing. Malekith when I was researching Malekith, reading some Malekith, all I could think about the whole time, I'm thinking about Loki. I'm thinking about the in Native American folklore. I'm thinking about the the coyote, you know, the, the the trickster god. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. I talked about this a lot with Loki, and this is all from some college classes I took. You know, for my English degree, all kind of coming out here. But right, the, the trickster god is a very important piece of many, many, many origin stories for various people groups. And uh, Malekith fits right into that. He also happens to be a dark elf. And the dark elves in Marvel are much like the dark elves in other uh, other media. The dark elves are generally pretty bad. They have a, a society built for war. They're always warring. Uh, and that's very central to Malekith's character. Now, Malekith himself, let's get into who he is 
as I've talked a little bit about what he represents here, Malekith is the 13th son of a 13th son. He was born into war. His siblings were all killed in war. He was sold by his mother during a war. Eventually, he will become a, as we all know, a magic user. He will become a very, very potent dark sorcerer, and he will go on to lead the Dark Elves through force and fear, which is very reminiscent of Lolth the Spider Queen. Okay, touched on kind of who he is a little bit here. Malekith is a dark elf. So his powers are going to kind of mirror that. He's very fast. He's very strong. He is very smart. He clearly dark sorcerer. He doesn't have many powers outside, just, just inherently outside of the sorcery. Mm-hmm. Many of his superpowers and just crazy things will kind of happen as pieces of plot. He will gain various weapons and armors and accoutrement that will make him a threat that must be dealt with. He is created by Walt Simonson, and Malekith first appears in Thor number 344 in June of 1984. So we're talking a 40-year-old character here today, Chris. He's got a few things going for him here. He's made in the 80s. A lot of good characters made in the 80s. Yeah. You know, we have that kind of re the, the renaissance of storytelling in comic books, which led to a lot of cool characters. Walt Simonson, obviously, goaded, one of the all-time greats. Uh, that full run is incredible, and you should try to read it if you can. His name's going to come up again soon. <laughs> oh, Walt Simonson's going to come up a lot when we're talking about Asgardians. Just, that's just how it is. So let's get into the actual lore here. We could go into painful, painful detail on all of this, but we're not because... He's been around for a while, but, you know, he's one of those bad guys that he just kind of shows up when he's the main bad guy, right? He's not milling about. He's not a side character often. He's not a character other bad guys or heroes need to go to for advice or anything like that. If Malekith is around, he's going to be the main bad guy at some point. Uh, And of course, he is a dark elf of Svartalheim. He is born into the Black Bile clan. They are known as, this is another very postmodern thing, the Black Bile clan is known as the Lords of the Wild Hunt. We all know about the Wild Hunt. We've all played The Witcher or read The Witcher or seen The Witcher. Heard of it, yeah. Yeah, the Wild Hunt is not exclusive to Witcher lore. It is is linked to elves and high elves in many different, from many different disciplines of fantasy storytelling. And uh, Malekith is the Lord of the Wild Hunt, as it were. It's kind of his birthright. Um, as I mentioned, his father, his brothers, his uncles, all going to be dead. I mean, it is constant war. As soon as one is over, we're starting another one. Hundreds, if not thousands of years of war. During the 43rd Troll War, however, this is when his mother will, after promising Malekith that he will never have to fight in war, a little while later, she's going to sell him off to feed the dogs for the wild hunt. And what Malekith will be doing in slavery is burning corpses. He's burning the corpses from the battlefield, dark elves exclusively, because of course they are a very xenophobic society. Dark elves are always the best. One day while burning corpses, he's going to be captured by trolls and he's going to be kept with prisoners. Uh, it's at one point a prisoner will ask him 
to go find some meaty millipedes to assist the prisoner in casting a spell. Malekith does this, and because of his cooperation here, Malekith will become the apprentice to a dark elf wizard. Eventually, he will surpass the wizard in in spellcasting prowess. Eventually, the wizard will release him from his apprenticeship and tell Malekith truly what the goal is behind their magic, what they've been working towards as a duo. And that goal is to end war and lead the Dark Elves into an era of peace. And the sorcerer, you know, given Malekith's upbringing and all the tragedy in his life revolving around constant war, the sorcerer assumed Malekith would be very down for this. And, you know, I think any normal being, sentient being would be. But Malekith's not normal, man. Something wrong with that brain. So he immediately kills the sorcerer, just knifes him right there. And then he will become Malekith the Accursed, for in his final act, the sorcerer will court curse Malekith, leaving the half-painted face forever, so everyone knows who and what they're dealing with, you know, kind of giving them, him that, that clown kind of look, that, that Harlequin look, that two-faced look. Now, Malekith is going to reunite himself with his mother and feed her two dogs. This is the Malekith. <laughs> this is the Malekith lore story. This is how he becomes Malekith. It's pretty, pretty brutal. Very, very, you know, as guardian, right? This feels very ancient mythy, right? So Malekith will quickly become an enemy to Asgard and just, just a general nuisance. Like I said, he's a trickster god. Part of his power set with this magic is like Loki, he can disguise himself. So he will often disguise himself or others to cause trouble. His first real big thing is going to be capturing the casket of ancient winters. He will use this casket is going to hold the hand of Laffy. Laffy being the you know king of the trolls and not only the king of the troll ice trolls, but Loki's parentage. And something that's also very common with Malekith that is displayed early here is he's constantly scheming. These aren't brute force schemes. He is using anyone and everyone he can as bait. He is casting spells to make Thor look like, you know, a bad guy. So he gets attacked by other good guys. He's making himself look different. He's making other people look different. He's just, I mean trickster to the 10th degree. I mean, there will come a time where he will just kind of be Lady Sif for a while. We're not going to get into that. That is past the scope of what we're going to be talking about today, but it does happen and you should read it. So Thor will, of course, confront Malekith here. Thor is always going to be confronting Malekith and he will defeat Malekith and the casket of ancient winters will be destroyed. It's going to come back later. Malekith will be caught and put in the dungeon, disguise Loki as himself, leaving Loki imprisoned, and then disguise himself as Baldur, who's about to be crowned ruler of Asgard. Of course, a character named Curse, formerly known as Algrim the Strong. Curse will see through this, this glamour, and he will actually behead Malekith, sending Malekith to. Hell. 
through various machinations uh, involving the thing disguising himself as Sif. Um, he will lure Thor to hell. He will lure Curse to hell. Jane to hell. <laughs> Eventually, the Hulk's going to be down here. Um, he's going to get himself freed. He's not going to win the day, uh, but he will be free of hell. You know how these things go. He starts his starts his big plan. It doesn't all work out. He gets defeated, but something good for him does happen, and he is free again where he will, weirdly enough, he's going to mix it up with Cable and X-Force for a little while. All right. Did not have time to really break that down and get into that. It's not super important to the character, but it did. After a couple more defeats, we're going to get the casket of ancient winners again. Thor, he's going to freeze all of Asgard and most Asgardians. Uh, Thor will save the day, as you might have guessed, using the Gem of Infinite Suns, which is one heck of a name for a relic. That is really cool. Uh, he's going, uh, Malekith will then tussle with Hercules a little bit, uh, but he is easily going to be defeated by Zeus. This is when they're trying to make Hercules work. So now we're going to get into the more modern age, just about when Jason Aaron is going to get a hold of the character and we're going to work ourselves into the war of the realms, which is an absolutely incredible and very cool crossover event from Marvel. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to quickly take you through this so we can get, so we can get to strategy, but this is when Malekith is going to kind of take over the dark elves. We're going to start moving throughout the realms a little bit. He's going to start moving in the background more often, um, really just have plans, uh, real plans, long-term plans for him instead of him just kind of being used in five to six issue series, which is, which is great. You know, him being used is better than him not being used, but with Jason Aaron comes this massive plan for Malekith. And when he really kind of becomes the Malekith that we know in MCP, this is when he's going to, you know, form that relationship with the bog tiger take over the 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 dark elves former relationship with Dario Auger and Roxon before we get there we have just a couple of things to hit the first part is when he actually becomes kind of the leader of the dark elves and in marvel and during this time the the nine realms have you know kind of a ruling council kind of a un type thing malekith is going to take over the Dark Elves, trick the Avengers and Thor into almost starting a war with the Ice Trolls. He's going to go ahead and form an alliance with the Ice Trolls here. And then he's going to start putting his people in places of power in these various governing bodies. So he's no longer just the outsider trying to destroy all systems. Now he's becoming the trickster that is going to take and warp systems and use them for to his own means. Malekith is going to then tussle with Iron Man and the Rings of the Mandarin, which you can read about in Iron Man, Rings of the Mandarin. He's going to defeat uh, some, some of the ring bearers. He's going to get a couple of rings for himself. But ultimately, what really happens for our purposes in this story is at the end, one of our old friends from the Extremis program a mutate known as Bride, the only extremist mutate uh, left living as she did not succumb to fully to the mind control the others did. 
But what's going to happen is she's going to get driven absolutely crazy because Malekith is going to steal her unborn child to raise as his own heir, the heir to his throne. It's really, really kind of a brutal thought. Um, but this will uh, this will put him in Tony Stark's orbit. And of course, he has to go after Tony because it's Iron Man. And we know that fey creatures have a weakness to iron. So his we- Malachus' weakness is part of this guy's name, must be dealt with. All right, Jesse, we're going to wrap it up here with just a couple things leading into the War of the Realms. We're going to stop at the beginning of that. Now we're going to get to the skull of Laffy. It's, of course, being held by Dario Auger and Roxxon Energy Group. So Malekith will try to retrieve it. He and Dario will tussle. Their forces tussling as well. Uh, it will kind of be a draw. The, the skull that they're fighting over at the, in the moment will be destroyed. But Dario will reveal later in some communication with Malekith that that skull was, in fact, a decoy just to lure the ice trolls. Dario and Malekith will reach a pact. Uh, Malekith will get the skull of Laffy in an attempt to resurrect the ice giant king, ice troll king. Pardon me. And with that, will will come a will come for Roxxon Energy Group mineral rights to every conquered realm under Malekith's thumb. So it's Malekith's plan to own all nine realms. So for Dario and Roxon, this is mineral rights to nine entire separate worlds. Pretty big deal. This will, of course, um, all kind of get broken up initially by Thor and Odin's son. Of course, when I say Thor here, it is Jane Foster and the f- artist formerly known as Thor, the Odin's son, wielding that big black axe. This is actually the battle where uh, Thor Odin's son will get his arm chopped off and it will then be replaced by that that metal arm that's uh, forged for him by the dwarves, which is pretty cool. So, and this is going to be the last part of our story today is when Malekith, of course, you know, topping off our little postmodern pie here, Malekith is going to tussle with the image comics creation, Angela. So Malekith is going to learn of the existence of heaven, which is going to be the kind of 10th realm that Angela is going to be brought into the Marvel 616 comics through. And there's a lot of problems going on in heaven right now. There's been some deals made with Freya. There's been some power taken, some curses made. And of course, there's Malekith in the middle of it all, playing tricks, casting spells, pretending to be other people. So he's going to do some research after he finds out about heaven, and he learns that there's a new heir to Asgard. Among a few other things, he's going to head to hell to figure out what's going on for real. He's going to see angels from heaven enslaved in Hela through these various curses and deals that, that I've mentioned previous. He's going to run into Sarah. And Sarah is, of course, Angela's long lost lover. He's going to cut a deal with Sarah and he's going to learn everything about Angela. He's going to take Sarah's ring that imbues her with power and kind. Sarah's going to kind of become a vessel for Malekith. Really, really interesting. And so he's going to impersonate Sarah. He's going to meet up with Angela. He's going to use this situation he's created to kind of preemptively take out 
some very, very powerful beings, Angela being one of them. She's not taken out. She's just kind of hamstrung. He's also kind of neutralized Sarah in doing this because he's, of course, not going to complete this deal he's made with her. He's going to run off with the ring. He's going to not really release her from servitude or being his vessel, however you kind of want to say it, and, and really just set himself up to invade nine realms in this War of the Realms. That's a lot. Which, you know, he's going to do. And I think you should go read about it. Jesse, that's going to be the end of our lore section on Malekith. Um, Kind of a difficult one to do, given his sporadic nature in the MCU. But, and half of the things that he's involved in right now, or recently, is half of the things he's been involved in. And they're very intricate. So... I hope I shed a little bit of light on it. I hope I didn't confuse you more with the War of the Realms stuff. A lot of new names and things in this that are not really seen outside of the Asgardian purview. So, and and like I said, War of the Realms is a very, very big, complicated thing. And we just do not have time to get into it on this podcast because we have a strategy section we've got to get to. But before we do that, we got to talk about Malekith in the MCU, in Thor, the Dark World. Jesse, what do you got for us? Well, we're not going to harp on this because if you've seen the film, you've seen the film. And, you know, if we if we summarize what Malekith does in that film, we would just summarize the plot because he's the general, he's the main antagonist. But yeah, little pop culture snapshot, Chris Eccleston, the the wonderful actor, played Malekith. Chris, this is very similar to a, a powerhouse actor of someone like Lee Pace playing Ronan, where it's like the MCU version of Malekith, slightly different. The right. MCU Ronan, slightly different. They're a lot more one note. They have a lot less screen time. Well, and this this film One is film. also this this film is also before Thor found his footing. Yes, also yeah. I think the MCU in general, because the only character that had really found a footing at this point was Iron Man, I believe. What's What's funny is like this particular era of the MCU was was kind of tough because the first films were all so successful and so well received that they pushed out these Thor 2s, these Iron yep. Man 2s quickly out the door. And then they just didn't land because frankly, they weren't as good because they didn't give enough time to work on them. The scripts were not as well done. The production time was much quicker, you know? So these films suffer for that. The irony- Those execs really make great decisions and do not at all deserve this strike whatsoever. There it is. Yeah. And then the irony of this, Chris, is Marvel's kind of back in the spot that it was back then again, because once again, Marvel's rushing out a lot of films, rushing out a lot of shows that maybe just need a little more time to breathe or a little bit more production. Quantity over quality. It's a problem. Yeah. And of course, there's still standouts left and right. But some of the general Marvel has been lacking because of this. And what's funny is I say all this because I think for a long time, Thor The Dark World was considered one of the lower tier Marvel films of the entire purview. But I think that's actually changed in recent years because there's been some really bad ones that have come yeah, out. Sadly, it has. So I think it's actually got, got a lot of people to look back at Thor The Dark World at, through a different lens and kind of appreciate it for what it was, which was an ex- extension of the Asgard lore to set up the rest of the MCU. The film wasn't perfect, you know, all these things. And Chris, Chris brought a really good performance with this mouth, though it is a very, you know, removed alien villain, you know, how else to say it. And, you know, we get to see Mal's sorcery powers in this, which is very cool. No bog tiger. Maybe that would have done really well as well. And of course, since these films have come out, a lot of the stuff Chris is talking about has been post even Mal in the film, right? So yes. Mal's been expanded in a lot of ways that he wasn't when that came out. Very much so. Yes. He kind of, you know, just went away for a while after the mid nineties. 
just wasn't used until uh, Jason Aaron brought him back out for the uh, Thor God of Thunder miniseries, which is, I think, came out after the Dark World. So that's a lot of character development that has happened since that movie. Yeah, they were like like around the, the same time. But of course, like Jason Aaron stuff kept going and finished after, right? That was the beginning. That's what started. If you right. really want to read everything from War of the, for War of the Realms, you start at Thor, God of Thunder, and read anything with Jason Aaron's on, name on it that Marvel's done since. Absolutely. So yeah, once again, Thor hadn't found his footing. Chris is a great actor and he brings this performance. But once again, I think this era of the MCU in particular, the villains really suffer because they're one-off one movie villains and that's kind of it. And you can't really explore an entire arc in one film. Like you could something like the gravitas of, you know, the the Thanos performance, you know, over multiple films, particularly two films back to back. They were always so final with their villains yeah. in those early movies too. You you would get your one appearance and at the end your character would be dead, never to be seen again. And 100%. that's just not Malekith. He's been killed several, several times, but he's always coming back. He's extremely powerful. His dark sorcery is insane. So yeah, I just, you know, MCU, they just had they hadn't found it yet, and there's still things they haven't found uh that that I would do differently. So and Malekith's one of those characters that I think they really they really missed out on with with mm. not giving him a way out, not bringing him back at some point. But, you know, what do I know? Yeah. And part of it's like the the nature of film and selling these movies and having a new villain and stuff. I get it. But, you know, because of this format, a lot of great villains like Malekith or even better villains like Gore the God Butcher and Ultron just get their one film and and then they're never to be seen again. And it's like. I've forgotten about gore, you jerk, reminding me. It's a very sad experience, um, though I still hold on hope every day that Ultron will be back, because if anyone could be back, it would be Ultron. It has um, to be, right? Yeah, with James Spader playing that character again. So time will tell. But once again, Chris brought a great performance, great makeup. That's just kind of the history on that film. But I would say I would recommend you to reexamine it because uh, it has aged better than a lot of people thought it might, which is very good, which is very good. Even sadder, Chris, this is a film made over a decade ago. And some of the CGI holds up better in that than some of the modern MCU formats. Because once again, time time cuts, extensions, like even this film was rushed out the door, but it has more time than some of the modern films, you know? So it's it's interesting. It's funny how good we get at things, but the products we make are worse. Well, yeah. And people get greedy and they're like, push more out the door, you know? And that is like, exactly it. That's how you end up with a, a beautiful film like Black Panther with a, a final battle looks like from a PlayStation 2 cinematic, you know? I mean... Yeah, with a final battle bad enough to offset <laughs> the rest of the good the film did. I yeah. know. It's distracting. It's brutal, right? Distracting dude. you from the emotional core, right? Which is which is not good. So I will say what's cool about this movie is this is the movie that really Loki gets his... He becomes the Loki we know now, like in the MCU, which is which has continued fun to since. see. Yeah. One of the breakout stars and one of the better things that had come out of the MCU. Yeah, Tom. Was Tom. Yeah. It's insanity. So he's he's so good in that role. Dude, he has mastered Loki. It truly brought the comic book character off the page. Like Yes, and even added his own flair. You he's know? right there with, with Evans as far as how well they portrayed those characters. Whew. Absolutely. And I cannot wait for more Loki very soon. So Chris, we got to move on to strategy and jump right into Malekith and MCP. Malekith's very strong in MCP. We don't need to have a meta discussion today or anything like that, but he's one of those characters. He is a threat because first of all, he's a seven threat character, but second of all, he's a very solid, consistent piece. So he's just a threat in general on the game, but let's talk about him. 
All right, Chris, let's jump into his card. Malekith the Accursed. His alter ego is Malekith. His defenses are 4-4-4, 4 physical, 4 energy, 4 mystic, very even across the board. On his healthy side, he has a stamina of 10. He is a threat cost of 7. Like I mentioned, he's a size 4, and he moves medium with a large base. He's extremely fast. And the only change to his stats on his backside is his health goes down to 8, giving him a total of 18. That's a lot of health. Yeah, it's only too short a Hulk, right? Yep. But he does have two sides. All right, Jesse, we have got three attacks. That's right. And they're all three different types. I love that. So our first attack is the Blade of Midnight is an energy attack. After this attack is resolved, Malekith gains power equal to the damage dealt. On a wild, you will trigger Pierce. Change one of the defensive dice to a blank. Uh, It is a range two, strength of seven builder attack. That's pretty good of course a power cost of zero it's great it is pierce on strikes always catches people unaware because you're building more power and then you're doing more things on your turn because you built more power with with some damage you already got through on them because of the pierce it just really snowballs in a big way and then on you add the factor of that it's an energy blade which is as of this moment the least represented defense in the game not by a lot but it is the least represented defense in the game it's it's certainly caught up in recent years but it used to be desperately so the least represented defense in the game across the board on characters it is very rare to see a character with four or five energy defense for instance right almost unheard of so most characters have an average energy defense or lower you know new models come out every day like umbaku he's two right so that also makes this strike a little bit more consistent his next attack is a mystic attack. It is blood boil, beam four, strength of five, power cost of zero. After each attack is resolved, this Malekith gains one power. So this is a gainer. On a wild, you will trigger poison. Poison condition, I think, is increasingly important in this game. It's starting to show up, for sure. Exactly. It's And it's starting to be needed with some of these new kits we're seeing. <laughs> hundred percent. I think the most notable part of this ability, Chris, is once again, it's another zero power cross attack, but it's got range four. So you can still do something when Malekith's not in range two. It's also a beam, which is incredible because at the end of the day, even if all these beams whiff, if you laid it over three characters, you're getting three power. The attack was resolved three times. And yeah, you might just spike right on one of these that's the hope we always talk about beams like i think people get a little greedy with beams they're like oh, i can remove a certain amount of models but really what it is is it's giving you more chances to spike on one particular model right because if you beam one time and you and one of them spikes in a big way you're like okay maybe now i should spend or strike the model that was spiked by the beam right mm-hmm. and just try to remove the point or beam again and see what happens. I also like that there's a little bit of control, like you said, in the form of the poison. But, you know, it's a solid attack. I don't think people do it enough with Mal. I think everybody gets really fixated on the Blade of Midnight, as they should, because it's so powerful. It's but really good, yeah. Blood Boil's good. But closing out his attacks, Chris, his final attack is a physical attack. Like you said, we got all three colors represented. It's the Butcher of Thors. It's a range three. So now he's got two, four, and three as his respective ranges. And the strength on this is a strength of 10, a power cost of four so much after the attack is resolved place this character within one of the chart characters so after everything's fully done malgus to fly over there and on a wild you'll trigger dark curse after the attack is resolved for each wild in the attack roll the defending character gains one of the following special conditions bleed shock slow and stun this is just a large model debilitator ability it's or killer good yeah or killer if you spike rocks <laughs> It's it's super cool. And I also like it too, Chris. Is be- I think, you know, I like to look at the the low end power level of abilities to not rely on dice. And the low end power level of this is I get to place and probably score 
and I hopefully get to give you some conditions. That's the low exactly. end. The high end is I guarantee get to place, possibly give you some conditions and do a bunch of damage to you because 10 dice are going to spike more likely in MCP. It's great. And you know, four power is a lot for Mal. We're going to see shortly because he's got a lot of things he wants to spend power on. But late game, especially when he flips, get ready because this Butcher of Thor is going to happen because he's going to have power to do it. It's really good. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I can't card say anything else. I can't, there's nothing else to say about it. It is expensive. Uh, that's, I mean, yeah. you've got a lot to pay for on this character. So you're not getting to do this maybe as much as you want. But I mean, you have a seven die strike, so I don't know. All right, Jesse, this guy has a leadership too. Goodness gracious. <laughs> so his leadership ability is the Dark Council. It is in a cabal affiliation leadership. When Malekith or an allied character dazes or KOs an enemy character, choose another non-dazed allied character. After the effect is resolved, the chosen character may remove one damage may gain one power, and may advance short. A character can be affected by this leadership only once per round. This is a pretty good leadership, especially Very good. for Malekith. Yes. Keep in mind, to get the rules right, when Mal or an ally dazes or KOs someone, someone else gets the benefit, right? So this isn't like Mal can domino more. Like he's like, if someone's just out of range, he couldn't short move one of his allies. But super cool, Chris, is the exact inverse of the Sam Wilson leadership, all new Avengers. This is the aggro version of it, as opposed to the Sam one is the defensive one. So yeah, it's absolutely great. You can get your models up in position. If Mal removes a model early in a round, you can short move an ally up the table, heal them up a little bit, set them up some, with some power maybe give Baron Zemo that power he needs for that charge now, things like that, and set up their next turn. I, it's absolutely wonderful. And similar to Sam's leadership, this is just something that's going to happen in the game. It's just going to happen. Whether your dice are good or bad, it's just going to happen. And hopefully you can use it in the correct way to help you win the match. But we got to move on because he's got a couple superpowers and they're very cool before we talk about yeah. this kid as a whole. So he has a active superpower called Ferocity, costs two power, action, Malekith immediately makes a move action followed by a blade of midnight action. If this attack deals damage after the attack is resolved, the character may throw the target character short, no size restriction. This superpower can be used only once per turn. So once again, this is why he needs a lot of power because you always want to essentially ferocity with him to charge and get a strike out of it, right? To net some actions with Mal because he has a seven cost model. You really want to maximize your actions with him. He's a prime example of a model that crumbles to stagger, right? because he's got to get all of his maximizing actions off. So if you give him Correct. stagger or you daze him early, he doesn't get to activate. It's a huge hit for him. What's crazy about this attack, Chris is yeah, you're going to already use it because it's charge. Charge is great, but it's charged with a free throw. If you deal one damage, that's the kicker, right? Like that's the kicker. one damage through on seven dice. It's pretty good. So yeah. getting that, that guaranteed throw is, I mean, especially on a crowded map, that's just crazy. Absolutely. It's, it's absolutely scary. And it's something he's going to do every turn when he can, because I think his play pattern is ferocity to get a move and attack. And then maybe one of these spenders or something to finish something off and then score the points that he hopefully just got a held on. But yeah, once again, though, it costs two power. So you're going to want that every turn. Next up is a reactive superpower. Looks a little familiar. Uh, it's called Cloak of Shadows and it costs X. After Malekith rolls attack, defense, or dodge dice, but before the resolve critical step, it may spend any amount of power to use this superpower for each one power spent. Choose one skull 
to treat as a crit for the remainder of the attack. So basically, if you've got power, his attacks just have one more dice result than everybody else's. Right, which could potentially explode into more damage because exactly. this is at the top of the critical phase. So you have to decide immediately, which is very important for you as the mal player, even before your opponent rolls defense dice, you've got to decide if you're turning those skulls to crits. More likely than not, you're just going to, especially if it's the Blade of Midnight, because you're probably going to net it back, right? Um, more likelihood to explode into more damage to get back through the strike. But also, Chris, this just makes ferocity so much more consistent, that throw that you want on the ferocity. So this is why Malekith is genuinely a threat, a menace in this game right now, because if he has a lot of power, worst case scenario, he can just make his defense and attack dice so much better. Yes. Which is just consistency, right? Which is something, you know, helps you win matches, right? Having consistency, um, especially if you're making the right plays. But closing out his card, he has... A couple of nates. He has Conqueror of the Ten Realms. During the power phase, his character gains one additional power. I do have to say big ups to AMG for saying Ten Realms here because of the inclusion of Heaven, H-E-V-E-N, That's into right. the Marvel 616. Neil Gaiman. It no, they're no, it's not, no longer the Nine Realms. It is now the Ten Realms. And Crazy. that happened during Malekith's kind of story that was set up. And I think good on them for doing that li- just little, little thing that just makes bit of research. Happy. So yeah, thank you guys. Absolutely. Makes me happy too, because you guys have much I love Angela. So during the power phase, this character gains one additional power. So he is as guardian for all intents and purposes with that we typically know in the game. As guardian plus. Yeah, as guardian plus. And additionally, characters cannot modify their attack dice when targeting this character with attacks. So you can't re-roll into him, which is crazy. Isn't that wild? It's wild. It, you once can't again, explode makes, crits though. You can. It just makes his defenses and his health pool that much scarier he's that much tankier right yeah unless you've got some sort of card that usurps this right and then closing out he has the innate of flight i said he's very fast he's a large base with a medium move and he has the immunity to hex and stun i love that he has the immunity to stagger so you can still deal with him but it makes sense he's a dark sorcerer he's not being hexed and the the stun is maybe the bog tiger yeah and he doesn't have like overwhelming physical uh, attributes either so i think Mm leaving the the stagger in there is actually very lore friendly too 100 percent. so that's malika's card like i said he has 18 health he is on this beautiful gorgeous bog tiger which i just absolutely adore what a great model dude yeah and i think that's kind of the bog tiger is kind of be to be understood of course it is because it's in the art and the miniature it's right. to be understood that it's with these superpowers with these abilities and with it's part of the seven threat pool. right yeah for sure because I think it's, it's not Malekith, Mal on the ground. I think Mal on the ground, depending on what era you take him from, would be anywhere from a four to a five. Yeah, but say like a five or something. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, probably probably like a sorcerer Ulick is is my guess. Mm, makes a lot maybe, of sense. Maybe with a little bit of uh, deception type stuff, Loki mystique type things uh, thrown in there. Ooh, I like that. Well, let's move on to Malekith's tactics cards because he does have two. Oh, the first yes. one is. Midnight Phantasmagoria. What an incredible name. This card. It's it's unaffiliated and active. So guess what? You can take it in any Malekith team. It doesn't even necessarily have to be Cabal. During his activation, that's very good, future-proofing, Malekith may spend three to play this card. Push all enemy characters within three of Malekith's base away from him short. Remove one damage from Malekith for each character pushed this way. Just insane displacement. This is his big sorcery spell. Some of the spells Chris were alluding to. Correct. Man, we got this like supernova of power shooting out from him. But yeah, the displacement alone is incredible. But obviously, like on its worst day, Chris, you just know how many models are within range three. And this is a small patch up for Malekith, right? Which is nuts. Exactly. 
So the fact that it's both is incredible, but you know, I think a lot of malplayers just take this most games for that. Oh, I'm going to heal three at a certain point, you know, now then if you get a big swing on points as well, like, so let's say you activate a late in a round, you move up, you charge in, you throw, throw one model off and then you push the other two off with this card. Okay. Like that's a point swing. That's not even an attrition swing. It is such it, yeah, it gives an attrition model a very great like, secure play. I mean, he can just, he can honestly, with the, the, the range three on this, with as big as his base is on some of these maps, he can clear two or three different secures. It's so good. If you place him in the right spot. It's I mean, so if everything good. works out perfectly. I mean, that's, that's a lot of what ifs here, but. Well, speaking of everything working out perfectly, we've got to talk right. about the Black Bifrost. It's a Cabal card, reactive, so you'd have to be Cabal affiliated to play this and have Mal in your squad. During the power phase, Mal may spend three power to play this card. Place a Bifrost token within one of Malakithia Cursed. Then place another Black Bifrost token within five of Malakithia Cursed. Once per turn, during a character's activation, while within range one of the Black Bifrost token, it may suffer one damage to essentially interact and then be placed range one of another black bifrost token so very similar to dr strange's pentagrams but it's mal has it what's amazing about this card chris and i think a lot of people maybe said oh it's good at first but they didn't really think it was that essential i think it's a pretty essential card in mal's play because on the spread maps this helps him act like it's not a spread map right which is insane then you add the factor of yes enemies can go through the portal but so can your allies and if you're the attrition cabal team that's a win for you this is built for like a character like x23 or something oh yeah i i, I love the too. idea yeah absolutely i love the idea of running anything with healing factor through this portal any of these really tough high damage lower th- lower threat characters i think this is just absolutely killer for stuff like that hundred percent. But you know, it is a little tough to get off sometimes though. I feel like three power, you're going to want it early in the game, right? So you're wanting to put this down on turn round two or three. So three power to sacrifice on such a, a power. He's power starved. If you're not hitting, you know, if your dice aren't hitting very well, sure. But if your dice are hitting, maybe this is just more of a win more card. I'm not sure. I think you only play this card when you have priority, right? Obviously, Ooh, good, it's the top yeah, of the power phase. Good point. And you're just like, okay, Mal's kind of separated from the fight, but if I place this portal down, he can get to my opponent's back D now, right? And he can remove maybe one or one to two models easily. Okay, I'm doing the black by frost, right? Because what's crazy, Chris, is he can it's silly. He can teleport through the bifrost to like a back D. Yes. Maybe remove someone, and then he can potentially charge to someone that's away from that as well. And just he just got all the way across the entire board, basically, with very little work to do it. And, um, and still got, got two attacks off, so that's a good point. Yeah, it's really good. Also, shout out to this art. It's probably one of my it's favorites. It's really cool. Ulick leading the charge, which is pretty cool too, but the Bog Tiger crushing down the, the bus and all these Cabal villains coming through this giant Black Bythrust. The Ice Giant. Ice Giant and Enchantress, Enchantress. like the Coup de Gras. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely beautiful so those are mal those are malekith's cards let's talk about real quick malekith as a whole and then i'll talk about his teams so yeah he's a threat he's seven cost and he's worth every bit of it right sometimes we say these higher threat models or things like that aren't quite the case he is very much 
the value of a four threat and a three threat, right? But that also means you got to get that out of him. So you got to know when to ferocity. You got to know when to activate him. Sometimes you got to hold him for a while. It's not just always top of every round, go with Mal, remove a model. Sometimes it is this late play, this move, charge in, remove something, score the point type play, you know? Perfectly fine. I also think Mal's a really good model to collect extracts. So if there's someone that's holding two or three extracts, well, that person's priority number one for Mal to remove because if he kills that person and scoops up those cubes or those hammers, now he could play defensively for a bit, right? And score you for a little while, come back in the game later. So he's absolutely a threat, Chris. We've talked about him plenty on this show. I don't think we need to talk about him. I think every MCP show has talked about him plenty. Too much. Yeah, too much. So let's talk about some teams you could play Malekith. So of course, number one, he's just best on his team. His team is just so good because he's bringing this powerful leadership to your cabal. And with the with his action economy and the fact that it is very possible for him to daze or KO two models every round, that is a lot of extra power, a lot of healing, a lot of movement for one or two other characters. Absolutely. And speaking of healing, I think he's a really cool piece in Asgard, though it starts getting really expensive real quick because him and yes. Thor is 12. But him not being staggered because of Asgard, being able to spend that power to remove a condition, right? Him getting a little bit more healing throughout a game in Asgard. Him having these pieces around him that also are threatening pieces. I think it's a very cool list. Obviously, it's a tall team, but that's how it builds itself. And I think it's very cool. You also could do things like teleport him up with Heimdall early, right? And just position the game in an interesting way and set up those Heimdall rerolls. But meanwhile, you got people like Scourge, Valkyrie, Enchantress, and Thor still on the table that are doing the things they do. And your opponent's like, what do I deal with at what times? So I think that's very cool. One of my favorite places to play him, Chris, as you know, the only time I've ever played Malekith was in this list, is Red Skull's Hydra, where he gets more power in the power phase. Right? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so in Red Skull's Hydra, if you're playing a D map, if you put Malekith directly in the center of the table, you're immediately contesting that back D at the start of the game. First of all, good for just setting up the game right. Second of all, incredible for the leadership because now Mal gets three power during the power phase. We didn't mention the cost of ferocity during the strategy segment. That's on us. But ferocity was changed from two to three, which matters a lot because he can't charge round one now. But in teams like the Inhumans, like the Hydra, Red Skull, if the things are set up right, he can get three power during the the first round of the game, right? And set that set up that ferocity. So but Malekith has been nerfed, you know, a couple times, Chris, and and he's still and he's still really good. Yeah, so I think that Red Skull Hydra is really cool because it's just if you're playing the game well, all your guys are getting more power. Malakus getting more power if he's always ending up places where he's by a secure or holding an extract. So essentially, he's three power a turn, which is just incredible. I already mentioned Inhumans. I mentioned him again. The reason why Inhumans are insane, they still have one of the best leaderships in the game. We talked about this, Chris, right? But it's like. Mal always being able to charge. Mal always being able to cloak of shadows. Mal always being able to do his spender if you're just moving the power around. Those are the reasons he got nerfed, right? Is because yeah. he could always do these things. And so you're putting him in a team that immediately gets him right back on that footing of, oh my gosh, this character is too good. Oh my gosh, yeah, he's got a round one still, right? Which is absolutely insane. So, and humans, a great spot for him. And similar logic, we always apply, I think A-Force is fine because through the course of the game, if you're just playing it, he's going to ramp, your team's going to ramp. Also, if they're attacking him a lot, you just ramp the rest of the ladies around him, right? And they get to do their cool stuff. So it's like your opponent's kind of... That's that's a very tall A-Force list, and I'm kind of interested in it. It's pretty neat, yeah. It's pretty scary too, right? Because they're probably always going to have priority, even if they bring their two threats. So 
I think it's pretty cool. And also, I think bringing Mal into that, as I've always called A-Force, the defensive bodyguard puzzle. If you bring Mal into that, She-Hulk's bodyguard, Akoye's bodyguard, some powerful A-Force cards that keep you together as a unit. That's very scary. <laughs> that's very Absolutely. Scary. Now, moving on, I think he's absolutely great in all the other Cabal teams. Sin's Cabal, original Red Skull Cabal, just because... If he's playing the game, he's making their abilities trigger. But let's talk about maybe one more interesting play, one or two more interesting places you can play him. You're talking about really tall, Chris, and really dark I do. side. I do. The dark dimension. I knew it. It's so much threat. We're starting at 15 threat immediately, but Mal's always getting three power, so his charge is always online. Dormammu's a threat in himself. So now your opponent's split. And then also, you can just have a really fun thematic bad guy list because you can fill out the rest of your list with like threes and fours that are all villains that need power, right? And then just go. <laughs> and what's cool about that list too is if the Dormammu threat doesn't work out, you can always pivot to just Mal leadership. So it's, it's a fun tool. And uh, I could totally see them like joining up one day, you know? Oh, two. absolutely. They, they would end up fighting at the end of it. 100%. But they would, they would, they would find common cause until it looks, until things looked down and then they would betray each other. Yeah. Another fun shout out and place that I've really touted for Mal and for a long time, as Chris knows, the Winter Guard. So not not being staggered ever as Mal, not being incinerated ever, not being shocked ever. Essentially, like, you know, you're playing Winter Guard, conditions coming off every time you activate. He is incredible as a threat. Also, that little benefit of he might not be pushed off of points with the second part of the Winter Guard leadership. I think it makes a very defensive control secure scoring team have a little bit of attrition that they didn't have and another secondary threat to well we're already going to win secures and sustain but now we have this model who can dive into your team and remove the extracts right so i think winter guard is a massive place for him also a little bit of insurance with the disruption field when your opponent really starts doubling down on attacks on mal and keep him in another round or two so i think he's kind of an essential piece in the winter guard and not quite as tall because you're starting with you're starting with dynamo yeah. And Mal. So you're starting at 11 threat, which is a lot better. That's manageable. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for lore's sake, I don't really think outside of Asgard, he fits many of the good guy teams for lore's sake and just strategy's sake. Like, I just, yeah, sure. He's he's fine in Web Warriors, right? He has Cloak of Shadows on top of Miles' leadership. That's a lot of rerolls. I mean, that's good. Defense. You could also use him as a throw piece in that team, but I mean, you could also use other pieces as a throw piece in that team. So it's it's not essential or needed per se. Same with Steve Avengers. Obviously, you can still use Ferocity and Steve Avengers for Ferocity two. turn one is a big deal. So that's got to be having an honorable mention and shout out. I think when the game, when our new core set gets here, Chris, there might be some new teams that Malika fits in, but we're not going to cover those today since they're not out in the game yet. And, uh, you know, last honorable mention, Spider-Foes, be able to reroll that one dice your opponent, yeah. guarantee that that blade went through, guarantee that Ferocity went off. Solid. Yeah, it's just it's just adding on to what he's already doing, right? So the, you're piercing you're piercing one of their defense rolls, you're making him re-roll a different one. You know, that's painful. It hurts. Yeah, it's it's tough. And I like how selfish Mal is and how self-contained he is because you can do something like Spider Foes, play their normal Spider Foes, secure an extract game, and just have Mal run around as he's a, just doing his own thing, yeah, his own attacking piece, right? So it's very cool. I think he's a very strong model. I think he's obviously one of the strongest models in the game right now as it stands. We'll see if he's nerfed again. I'm unsure if he will be. I do like that we have more tools to deal with him now, finally, which is a great feeling. I think that's the key. It, it was, you know, we needed more nerfs, so we needed ways to deal and 
you know, he's not as ubiquitous as he once was. No. And there are ways to kind of tamper him down or, or make him have a, a tougher game, make it harder for him to get seven threat worth out of his activations. Basically. I think the genuine problem with him is something that maybe AMG will deal with, whether they deal with his card or they deal with some crises threat in the future. He's just, he's just too dominant on low threat crises. Yes. It's just too easy. Cause it's hard to man. bring those tools in. Yeah. Cause you just can't, you can't bring enough tools to fight a mal team at 15 threat. That's always has priority. Right. And if you can bring those tools in, you are now unaffiliated and can't do anything else. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you dealt with Mal, but did you get your normal game yeah, plan of you, affiliation you, off? You dealt with Mal, but you lost uh, eight to 16. It's one of those things. Time will tell. I think he's an incredible piece. I think he's one of the best miniatures in the game. We've talked about this at nauseum on our show from his announcement to now this bog tiger, this sculpt, the scenic base of him destroying some world some mm-hmm. realm city, right? There's shields and flags on the on the base that and fire, like there was a battle that just transpired. You know, there's a lot of cool things going on with Malekith. And I think we should, though he's a sometimes a problem in the competitive meta, I think we should welcome him actively in the game because he is such a showstopper piece when people come into the game shop, you know? Like I think if someone loves to play Malekith, they should play him because I think we get more people in MCP. And, you know, some people worked really hard or paid commission people a lot of money to do these bog tigers well because it's not an easy thing no sir uh, you know they want they want to show that off and power to them to show that off on the table and if mal's your favorite villain play him you know like have fun right now especially if he gets nerfed in the future like enjoy his power level right now (laughs) for sure but i'm completely fine at the moment chris where it's like if like hulk and mal and thanos and these type characters are the most powerful models in the game we're in the right spot we just got to tweak them to make them a little bit more competitively safe. And I think that's AMG has been working towards that for a while and they've been showing us that. Yeah, we're getting there uh, slowly, but surely we're getting there. And I echo your sentiment. I would much rather see a lot of well-painted Malekiths around than everyone has to have black cat in their, in their list. Mm, right. Well said. Yeah. And she fell out, right? Cause the game changed and her power level went down. So the game ebbs and flows a year ago, this time Malekith was absolutely dominating, winning everything. And things have dramatically changed since then through changes through the card packs and the crisis packs and just the meta at large. So, you know, I don't think he's ever going to go away because the models are so incredible, but I think he's an amazing piece in the game. And if you haven't tried him, give him a try. You know, he's, he's a lot of fun at the end of the day. He's a lot of fun because his mobility is insane. Absolutely. Dude. He can get almost anywhere with a charge. (laughs) Ridiculous. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Find us on social media. Find us on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and everywhere else. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitch at Fury's Finest. Email us at Fury'sFinest at gmail.com and leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. And if you have a podcast platform that doesn't have a review system, if you jump on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give us a five-star review, it really means a lot. It definitely, definitely helps a ton. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And uh, let's hammer it home. Rate, review, subscribe. Every little bit helps. Thank you guys so much. Of course, you can find me and Chris several spaces online. You can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Instagram, Discord, and Longshanks all at the same place. That's at Jesse Aiken. And check out my Star Wars Shatterpoint show, Hello There, a Star Wars Shatterpoint podcast at Hello There Cast, and everywhere podcasts can be found. Like Chris said earlier, it's a very exciting time in Shatterpoint. we got a lot of new models coming on the scene and uh, a lot of new models to talk about. We just dropped our Mace Windu episode not terribly long ago, and that was really fun to do. Chris, where can everyone find you? 
You can find me on Discord. I am Strong Style. Hit me up. We can talk about whatever. More content coming. So I'll have something to say here later. Very good. Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed this journey through the Black Bifrost to this dark side of Asgard. I'm really excited, Chris, to get into more Asgard in the coming weeks. And I think this has kind of set the stage. We got our villain, and now we got to find some, uh, I'm not going to say heroes, because Asgard's got a lot of neutral people in it. You oh, know? yeah. They're just, they're just folks living their lives. They're good. They're bad. Yeah. Very good. So until next time, thanks for listening. True believers. Excelsior. has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Tin Buck says you're wrong. 